Oh, come on, you know I don't watch that shit. Why not? Too scared. No, no, it's just, what's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. Are you alone in the house? Randy, that's so unoriginal. I'm disappointed in you. Maybe that's because I'm not Randy. Blood and Black Rum Podcast presents Scream. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsplantation.com and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? And we are back with another slasher 90s month, except this time we're not doing any just any particular slasher film. We're doing the yeah the '90s slasher film, the one that stands out to most uh, viewers. Candyman. <laughs> well, that's a good one. That's that's Candyman See, is a good film. It's underrated. It is certainly. Uh, I think it's more um, more well represented now that two new releases came out for it. Not just one, but two. Scream Factory and Arrow Video did a uh, con. Uh, I guess they did like a contribution to it where they both sort of did parts of their releases and then they released their own separate versions of it. Oh, how nice of them. Yeah. So there's two two different Blu-rays out and, you know, I think it's been uh, more well-received lately. But uh, no, we're not talking about Candyman. I know you did last summer. No, actually, we already did that one. And oh. remember, we didn't have great things to say about it after checking it out Um all these years later you know it's been two years so i don't remember <laughs> we uh if you remember correctly when we did the 90s slasher month and this was yeah yeah no i i know ago, i do remember urban legend Legends was our favorite is, yeah yeah which is surprising to me uh i didn't expect that but urban legend was our favorite of the 90s slasher films that we did uh i know what you did last summer we felt did not hold up because partly because of the film that we're going to talk about today scream um i know what you did last summer felt like a too much of a reiteration of Scream. And then also, it certainly just did not have the elements that made... The, the meta elements that make Scream um, satisfying. And then it also just didn't have the interesting elements that made all the other 90s slasher films um, better than I Know What You Did Last Summer. Who would have thought a film with Sarah Michelle Gellar and... And Fred- Jennifer Love Hewitt. And Ryan Philippe and <laughs> Freddie Prince got beat by a Tara Reid film. No, that's true, but I think that that's was, like the night. That's like the dream, like the, yeah, the like, that, you know that the, is true. The yeah. dream team of mid to late nineties films, right there. It's true. Jennifer Love Hewitt, I will definitely take any day over Nev Campbell, but that's yeah. a different argument. I think. Oh, good. More Nev. For, more <laughs> Nev for me. <laughs> but yeah, we're talking about Scream today, and we're actually going to be doing uh, the full franchise, Scream one through four. Um, Throughout the next few weeks, or mo- I, it's probably going to take us what, like a month and a half or so, because we do one episode every two weeks. Well, so it all depends on. Yeah, you. it's going to take like two months, I guess, <laughs> because we've kind of gotten away from doing uh, weekly episodes. It's a little too difficult, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, for the next two months, we're going to be covering all the Scream franchise, um, minus the TV, minus the TV show. Yeah, that is true. The TV show. 
I did check out, uh, I've seen, I think it's two seasons and I've seen both of those seasons and, uh, just not, I mean, you knew it had to be bad. Yeah. Mid, mid, early to mid to, uh, 2010s MTV. Yeah. Yeah. It's are not, they, are they producing anything now that's not rea- crap reality TV? It really has not much. It doesn't have much to do with the Scream franchise as a whole. And it's, you know, it, it does try to work those meta aspects in, but it just it's doesn't pro- succeed. I was going to say, it's probably the death nail in Wes Craven when they got gr- Greenwood. That's when he just, mm, you know. Yeah. Rode off into the night. You know what? And I think uh, season two, um, I think he was alive for season two as well. And then at that point, after season two ended and they did that really ridiculous, like, there was like a post-season Halloween episode that was just awful. Um, they, yeah, after that, I think he slowly passed away, after, you know, so. But, yeah, yeah we're not doing the seasons, uh, but we are going to do one through four. If you've uh, listened to this show before, I think we've probably uh, talked about how um, how how we're you know we've been influenced by Scream and how we do love the film and the series in its own ways. Um, certainly, you know we don't love Scream three like we love Scream one, as we'll talk about. But um, almost all of the films, in some way, have their redeeming qualities that we have come to love. Over the course of what twenty years, as we've, yeah, yeah, it's been twenty Tw- years, yeah, no, twenty five, yeah, twenty five years. That's pretty crazy <laughs> to think about, but yeah, it's been it's been that long since, uh, yeah, ninety five is when Scream came out, right? Nineteen ninety six, yeah, so, so about, about tw- twenty three years, yeah, about twenty three years. So it's uh, you know, it's been a long time since we've, it's been a long time since I've seen Scream. I will say. Um, I think the last, I watched it like maybe a few years ago, three or four years ago during Halloween. Um, so it's been a while since I've actually sat down and watched it in full and actually thought about it. So like when I watch it, sometimes it's sort of a nice way to get away from, cause I do a lot of reviews and I review a lot of films that I've never seen before. A lot of films that like, there's a reason why you've never seen them before. (laughs) Um, and so it's kind of nice sometimes to get away from watching a film that you not, don't really love so much. And it, it's nice to just watch a movie that you know really well and that you're comfortable with and you're just kind of like zoning out to. And you're like, yeah, it's, it's on it, screen. Well, and you're also the type of person that doesn't like to watch, rewatch things. So Yeah, I don't rewatch things a whole lot. Yeah. Um, I will say that i probably seen Scream like five or six times, I want to say. And that's a lot for me. I don't tend to rewatch movies too often, but if if you're getting up to like the six, seven, eight times that you've seen something, for me that's like a lot of rewatches. That's like a, a movie that I really enjoyed. I would say Halloween is like way up there, like in the double digits, and then Scream is uh, on a lower end. But it's actually been so long since I watched it that I didn't remember a lot of the nuance to the film that that actually occurs within it. It's been a couple of years for me. Yeah. Um, there is one Scream film I watch almost yearly. Not going to say which one. Okay. Um, Are you saving that for yes. a particular episode? It's, so it's, it's not, not Scream 1. No, it's not Scream 1. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do watch... I've seen this film probably about 10 or 11 times. Um, I'm more... I frequent watching films over and over again. Especially ones that I really like. If I find them to be enjoyable, I know what I'm getting out of them. And so I like to rewatch them. Um, it's not more that I don't like watching new things, but if I'm like, hey, I want to watch something, 
instead of trying to figure out like, oh, what do I want to try? What you know, go back to something old and reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Scream has been one of the reliable films for you, Def- and especially for slasher films. Uh, outside of ho- Scream, uh, probably the uh, s- couple of the Scream films and like Halloween are probably the, my two most watched slasher films by far. Okay, when it comes when it comes to slashers. So when um, we uh, when we talk about slashers, and we've done quite a few on the show, we've done some for pretty much every era. We've done. A few 70s slasher films. 80s, You know, 90s. like we did Black Christmas. We've done 80s films. We did New <laughs> Year's Evil. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Well, yeah. Uh, My Bloody Valentine. We've done quite a few of those, you know, and a lot of them are kind of themed around mm-hmm. holidays. But So we've done a bunch of those. We did 90s slasher month. And then we've done a few 2000s as well. Mm-hmm. We got into that, like, remake craze, Nightmare on Elm Street remake, uh, Friday Saw- 13th remake. Saw franchise. Yeah, Saw franchise. So we've done, like... Throughout many of the eras. The only thing we're missing is the 60s. That's true. We haven't done, like, Peeping Tom or anything like that, but... Or Psycho, uh, or, you know... Yeah, uh, uh, be something to think about as we move forward, but... Uh, what, so, for, for you, would you say that Scream would be, like, one of your your more preferred slasher films than some of the other films from maybe, like, the 80s that a lot of people yes. think of as, like, the, the epitome yeah, of no, slasher? Yeah, for me, being a young, young lad... <laughs> Of, like, six years old in this film, six, seven years old when this came out, yes. Um, That's the one for you. The one defining characteristic I remember, and I don't usually carry a lot of memories of my youth, but one of the things I do remember is waking up in the middle of the night when my parents rented Scream when I was, like, six or seven years old. And they were watching it and walking out in the intro scene when uh, Drew Barrymore's boyfriend gets... uh, gutted and i ran right back to my that's, bedroom that's, and i didn't i didn't talk to my parents i was like watching from the like when they were watching and i was like looking like standing behind them and they didn't notice me and i was like watching and i saw that and i fucking booked it right back to my bed like and i like, actually have a really similar uh memory of that because my dad did the same thing they they were like apparently you know and i don't technically really recall like at the time how big Scream was, but I do recall my parents being like, yeah, this is like the new big movie. Like, I want to see this. So my I can, I, I can see your dad, too. Like, yeah. After watching it, like, eh. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I remember my dad renting it. He was like, you know, Ryan, because at that time he owned the movie store and he, you know, I was really into videos at that point and I was always really drawn to the horror section. So I remember my dad saying like, oh yeah, Ryan, I think you really like this movie. So I kind of like hunkered <laughs> down and I was watching it a little bit. I wasn't super, you know, watching it or like being really drawn into it. And I remember that scene with Drew Barrymore's boyfriend who's sitting out on the patio and you kind of get that really quick glimpse of like, he's out there, he's fine. And then there's that call where she come, where she's like, you know, she says she has her boyfriend and they said, okay, well we're going to take care of him. And then they do that really quick sort of like gutting that, Obviously, you we least, know now is like super not realistic. Like it's like not surgical that, precision. Not only that, we don't even see it. Yeah, I like like if I think of my like childhood, it's like in that that instance, like in my mind, I feel like I saw that. Yeah, and but it's like I've it's seen actually, the I've seen the film like a dozen times. I know like that doesn't happen. It's actually but, not but when I think back to that memory, it's like I could have swore I saw. Yeah, you know. yeah. And the and the big thing that stands out to me is that like at that time processing that scene, I saw you know. The guy out on the patio lights on. There's that thing that's hanging off of his body, and I was thinking, like, what the fuck did they do to that guy? Because it looked very, 
you know, like obviously now you know it's he, it's his intestines that are hanging out from his stomach. But at that time, I was like, "Is that a tentacle? What is that?" <laughs> and I was like, completely blown away by that scene. I remember being just being like shocked by it. And then I was remember thinking, like, "Man, I'm really glad I'm not that guy." You know, that's that's <laughs> like because it looked so gruesome to me. And that that scene is funny that that scene stands out to you because it also stood out to me at that time when I was you know a young kid too, just sort of like casually watching this movie with my parents. And I remember kind of after that, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to watch this movie anymore. <laughs> so, cause I was very traumatized by that scene of like evisceration. And, uh, that, that's, that scene really stuck out to me. But it's kind of, it is kind of easy to kind of forget now that we are almost 25 years past when it came out. What a cultural icon. And, how in long and impacting the film was on pop culture. Mm. Um, you wouldn't have had the scary movie franchise. Yeah, exactly. It, was, it was a direct uh, lead four, up to scary movie. Like four years, I mean, three, four years later, you get scary movie, which, you know, but it really steals a lot, you know, it parodies a lot from the first, well, first scream. And you know, you wouldn't have scary movie. And that means that you wouldn't have, um, Anna Ferris's career. Well, well, maybe that, but you wouldn't have some of those other offshoots of scary movie either, like Epic Movie, which was one of your favorite movies in the two thousands when it came out. Um, as I say, Shriek. If I know what you did last summer, yeah, that's another um, big one. And you know these these films have been around before, like these parody slasher films have been around. For, we talked about them a little bit on um, shows before, like Student Bodies, um, like Wacko. They have been around. And they had there had been parodies of slasher films previously, but Scream was really the big one where it was like, okay, this is coming back. This is the thing to do because there really wasn't. A, I mean, as I've said a billion times on here, I'm not the horror guru here. Even four years into the podcast, still still the novice. Um, but the '90s. Pre- up until Scream, very bare bones when it came to the slasher genre. Outside of Candyman and whatever the hell Warwick Davis is up to. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of a, or a, a new genesis for the franchise because Kevin Williams didn't just start fucking writing films left and right for yeah. uh, Mirror, Mirror Max, Max and, and, and whatnot. And, and, that know, gave, gave us the, the brilliant I Know What You Did Last Summer and even better, Halloween H2O. And, the, the most proper you know, send up to a franchise ever for its 20th anniversary. And this is really Wes Craven, too, following up on some of his own ideas with New Nightmare, which I would say it was a popular film, but it didn't blow anybody away at the time. And I think that was in 93, maybe? Yeah, I think like... Um, And so he was following up on some of his own ideas of meta commentary. And I would even argue, before we really get into the film itself, that the New Nightmare is a lot more meta than Scream is. But... At a certain point, you get to be too meta where your general audience is like, wait, what are you talking about? And so I think that Scream had a better balance of layman's terms, people who knew what they were talking about for horror. Well, at the same time, if you're like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 7, who are you making the – it's super meta. Who are you making the film for? That's true too. Nightmare on Elm Street fans. You're not – I mean, I'm, I'm sure Wes and, you know, Miramax were trying to bring in a new audience at that point, but at the same time, who you bring in, you know. No, you're right. I totally agree. New Nightmare is a lot more meta than Scream is. In fact, 
after watching it this time and kind of like focusing more on like certain details, this scream is not that meta. Yeah. Like compared to what comes out today, it's really like low key meta. It's 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 got references, but those references really don't guide the film. They're not something that you as the audience member need to be cued into. If you don't get any of the references, if you don't even get the Halloween references, if you don't even notice that Billy Loomis's last name is, is L- Loomis. Loomis from Halloween, you will not be missing any part of the plot whatsoever. It's just not, you know, it's not integral to what you're watching. Like and again, especially compared to like the pa- the media of the past decade where everything's been super meta. Yeah, especially in the horror franchise. The expectation now, as we saw in like Endgame and some of the other films, is that you have to have those little meta touches, or you have to have constant reference and Easter eggs to other wink, parts. Wink, yeah, yeah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, you know. Otherwise, you're missing out on a key audience. Whereas at this point in 1996, I don't know that Scream was really at that point where they could say like. Let's put in really obscure references. Well, as I told you, too, it. like when Jamie Cady's screaming, like, it, everything follows prom night. It's like, who the fuck in 1996 is like, prom night? Yeah, I would guarantee, you know, and, and it's kind of <laughs> interesting to think about, too. And we didn't really, I mean, we obviously lived through this period, but we didn't, like, we weren't at a prime in that period. To understand it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't remember really a time where there wasn't an IMDb where you're like, what was the movie they referenced? Yeah. What was ta- The Town That Dreaded Sundown? Yeah. Let me look it up on IMDb. At that point, 1996, you were thinking about Prom Night. You were like, huh, Prom Night. I might have heard of it. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. and at that, you know, obviously mm. there would be some people who would know it. But there would be other people, general audience members, who were like, you know, that went right over their head. Giant misstep before we talk about the film. Giant misstep about the whole meta references. The fact that Woodsboro is supposed to be the sleepy little California farm town. There's no Hills Have Eyes reference. True. With, with the fact that you see plenty of like mountainous vineyard style hills in the background. No like, Gail Weathers, I'm from the hills that have eyes in Woodsboro, you know. <laughs> And that was, you know, that's a Wes Craven film. That's so what I'm he, saying. Why would he miss that reference? Yeah. It's, it's interesting, yeah, that they didn't even they didn't bother to go that route. Yeah. Well, Cut that right out. Again, well, that might be a very, ups- at that time, an obscure. Because, again, who, how many people, in, you and know. And the remake hadn't been out. And, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Before we get into anything else, let's take a break real quick. Uh, we do have an ad for one of our, um, you know, one of our friends, uh, podcasters that, uh, you should definitely check out. So uh, give us one second. We'll it's do not this. an ad. It's a promotion. It's a promotion. That's right. That's yeah, right. You, ad, ad sounds like we're getting paid to do it. No, that's true. It's not. We're promoting. We're, we're, yeah, it's a promotion. We, we like to promote other people. So if, and, and I guess this is a good plug as well. If you do have a promotion that you would like featured on the show, just you know, write to us at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com or visit us on Twitter or Facebook. Let us know and we'll certainly throw it into the show. I have no problems with doing that. So. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> hey there, listeners. Are you tired of the same old boring podcast that talks about the most up-to-date trending topics, celebrity news, our day-to-day life experiences, sports, politics, and the world around us? Or you just can't even find one at all? Well, look no further. Real AKA Truth is a biracial podcast with three guys who speak nothing but the real truth on today's society and culture in their unique, witty, hilarious, humorous way that you are sure to get a kick out of. 
With new episodes published every Saturday, you can join them each week, my friends, as you're sure to get a smile with Nick, Muff, and T.Y. Available on almost all podcast apps and formats. Just search Real A.K.A. Truth or go to anchor.fm slash Real A.K.A. Truth 2019. Check those guys out. Yeah. Real A.K.A. Truth. Unfortunately, we had a little bit of an issue with our recording where it kept skipping throughout this part of the podcast. We did talk about a beer on this show and it was Lagunitas's Supercluster IPA, which is a Nipa style. And uh, just to catch you up before this starts to cut in here, um, I was a really big fan of it, and Martin was not such a huge fan of it, mostly just because he's sick of Nipas. And this uh, upcoming rant is him trying to uh, explain why he's sick of Nipas. Not everybody needs to fucking do it. Do something different. Here's the problem, though. Because it's like... After a while, it's like, if I had, like, this one first, like, oh, that's great. And then I had, like, maybe, like, one that I had first, like, Sam Adams' Nipa first. Like, oh, it's not so good. Or vice versa. I could have, like, a billion Nipas, and by the time I got to this Lagunitas, which could be very good, I might be like, So, I mean, at the same time, they're all all just, again, as a style, just blending together. Because any all these breweries have brewmasters that know what the fuck they're doing, so it's like True. at the end of the day, everything's just kind of as long as it's not skunky, they're all going to be like, oh, "This one's a slightly little bit more juicy than this one," and you know. Yeah, that is true. You know, you start to get to a certain point where you're like, "I like this one, and I'm good," you know. But I think part of the problem is me because I, I see a new one, I buy a new one. Well, like Saranac had their polar. I told you didn't have it, but their polar haze IPA, right. uh, IPA for the winter time, which is like their version of a Nipa. They have a fucking another one in their summer pack. I haven't tried it yet, but it's the summer haze I, IPA, right? Which and, is supposed to be another Nipa style. But like, so what the fuck are you doing different? In? Is that one supposed to be more lemony? Like you're like picking more of a summer like citrus to pair with your haze because to be honest with you i don't give a shit that the ipa is hazy in color like ooh, you know Mm -hmm. we were way ahead of that trend back in 2010 when saranac had their white ipa right you know yeah which is again saranac why is that still not a thing you were the only ones like doing a white ipa a belgian wheat and an ipa together which was magic and you stopped yeah, I agree. I mean, I think at a certain point they start to blend together and you find what you like and you know. I mean, I'll nice. try them, but I will I will, won't I won't do what you do, like actually buy a six pack yeah, of it or whatever. You're starting to get to that point where you're like, "All right, I've had enough of these. It's like I know I like them, they're okay the, at a certain point." My but... comparison would be Stone. Mm-hmm. I like Stone IPAs. Yeah. They're good. They know what they're doing. I will never go out of my way, though, to buy a stone six-pack or 12-pack. Yeah. You had one, you probably had them all. You don't want 17 different IPAs? I, you know, I'll maybe if I'm at a bar, I'm like, I haven't had that one, I'll spend the $9 to get a pint of that. I think there's an interesting thing about stone, though, where they're like, let's experiment with, like, literally, like, two different types of... Let's put two hops together and just see what happens. But let's put very, these different hops yeah, together. Yeah, but they're very... You yeah, know, yeah, I know. Sniffing their own farts, you know. And I'm sort of into that in a weird way. Like, you know, I do get sick of IPA sometimes, but at the same time, I am often one of the least adventurous people too. Like, which I is funny because it's, get... it, which is funny because you don't watch rewatch movies. I know. You know, you're like, oh, I like the 
I like to be in the same beer realm, but at the same time, when it comes to a movie, I've already seen that movie. Yeah, I know. Don't need well, to see the it again. thing is, I'm trying a different beer, but I'm not retrying a beer. But it's, at the same time, I, you I'll, are. I'll stay in the same realm, at but the same I get t- a different type. At the of same beer. time, yeah. you are. It's it's weird, you know. Like I know Founders has a new Gose out in a 15 pack, and I I could have gotten it. And I I chose not to. I what chose to type, get this instead. What type of Gose is it? Um, I can't remember now. But, uh... Like, thing- I'd be more... Like, I'm almost more interested at this point being the old fucking fogey than I am now. Like, trying Labatt's mixer pack. I'm like, lime blue light? Blood orange blue light? And, like... Sure. Why not? You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's... Yeah. I want to try no, your blood orange shandy mix blue. It's probably not that great, but that's something different compared to everyone being like... You know, same thing. Like, I feel like the next fruit beer craze is currants, because since it's beer fest, I've seen like a bunch of current style fruit beers. And it's like everyone played Red Dead too, and it's like, current. You know, oh, Arthur's picking black currants and golden currants. Let's make beer out of that. I know I should be more adventurous and get those gozes, but so I mean, you know, what can you do? Well, you will later when it's actually weather worth of it it's true when it's 50 degrees out and pouring out you do you, are you really quenching you know looking for a nice fruity tart beer mm. well i'll just say that <coughs> the super cluster i i definitely enjoyed and it's one that i would definitely get again well i mean like i, like I said i like it but at the same time it's something at this point that i've had so many night i would never go out of my way to Probably buy another night yeah. <laughs> again. I would wait for somebody who either has a, a new six pack or twelve pack of something, or I, if it's a new, something new at the bar or brew pub or whatever the fuck, I'd be like, yeah, I'll try that. Otherwise, on my own, no. I'd much rather drink something like Miller Lite. Mm-hmm. That's how I know I'm becoming old. Yeah, something that like like eight years ago, I'd be like <laughs> buying Miller Lite. Now it's like it's got its place. Yeah. Huh. Huh. I'm getting old. That's all there is to say about that. Well, we're going to be 30. And then we're dead. All right, let's talk about Scream now. Um, So, one thing that stands out to me about Scream is that while rewatching it, I was surprised to see how protected against the 90s it was. As, as you know, a film that took place in the middle of the 90s, it definitely, it does have some of the qualities of a 90s film, but at the same time, it's also... You know, one of those films that's sort of not really stuck in its own era. Mm. Well, you know, when I when I say that, I mean, mm. you're not, for the most part, the soundtrack is not, you know, 90s grunge okay. driven. Okay. There's, there's some of it, but no, there's not. See, you're right. But see, soundtracks aren't, I mean, a lot of the 90s films have those super like, we got punk pop ska playing, you know, yeah, yeah, Mighty Mighty Boston you exactly, know, that's, type music. Tonic, you know, good good stuff, good stuff that I love. But no, it doesn't have that. They show restraint in that, but they do have the Enya score. Yeah, sent, you know, the which bit, yeah, which the, is the most one of the most early '90s ambient music you could get to, next to Gregorian chant and um, John Tish. That is true, but their outfits, the way they talk is fucking mid-90s, the way their hair is quaffed and all that, mid-nine, peak mid-90s. Like, that, like, uh, it hits me so much in the, like, in the feel, nostalgia feels 
all like all I could see is like when um all this is, that would be needed to make this even more nineties is when Billy and Sid finally have sex. That is set to Oasis like Champagne Supernova. A champagne Supernova. Because people forget Oasis nineteen ninety five and nineteen ninety six inescapable. Yeah, you you know. What's the story? Morning Glory. You know, Big. You know when uh, Billy's going away to prison, they could have had playing like uh, Wonder Yama. Wall. <laughs> Today, but you want to know why they don't have that? It's called restraint. Yeah. You want to know why there's restraint? Because you actually have a credible filmmaker making this film, and Wes you know, Craven. Wes Craven, you know, you can see, and he hasn't really in most of his films. He never really succumbed to that sort of. Stylistic. I need to fit. Just with the because, say, just because Kevin Williamson wrote the script doesn't mean you know it was hijacked into a super nineties film. Wes Craven still, especially at this point, very veteran and seasoned, and being somebody from like a literary background that he is, he's always had a little bit more, even within the horror horror genre, uh, taste and tactfulness. Yeah, and and this one, you know, you do get a couple of those nineties scenes, but. More so their diegetic sound where it's like they're worked into what normal people would be listening to at that time. You know, would there be grunge music on the radio? Probably. You know, would would Dewey, who thinks of himself as a muscular man, <laughs> uh, and would he be listening to grunge music on his uh, car radio? Probably. I'm, and you know what? After watching this, it just makes me think, like, because this one compared to the rest of the films, Dewey's such a twit. Yeah. Like, yeah, com- like sure. c- compared to s- like Scream, Scream 2 and I 4. really do like Dewey as a person in but Scream 2. In, in this one, like, yeah. you, know, you understand if you're following, like, what scary movie parodies, like this one, it's like, you totally get the, oh, the doofy report for duty. That is true. <laughs> you, you know, the dick stuck in the back, you know, vacuum <laughs> cleaner. Because when Rose McGowan's, you know, browbeating Dewey, like, like, get the fuck over here. And he's like. Mom said when I'm in a uniform, you respect me as a man. You know, it's like, oh, God, David Arquette, bless your heart. It is also pretty funny that in this movie, at least, you know, as you get in further into the franchise, he does more. But in this one, he really doesn't do anything. He, like, shows up at a party that's for 16-year-old underage drinkers that he's like, you know what? Have fun. Just don't drive. Don't drive. But see, that's like the the response you would have gotten back then. Yeah, don't don't drink and drive. Like you hear stories from like our youth of like people like, hey, that yeah, that guy got pulled over for drunk driving. The trooper, you know, they followed him home. Followed him home and yeah. said, "Don't do that again." Yeah, have a good well, night. Well, you know, in this one though, Dewey he really doesn't do anything. He gets knocked out for most of the film. He's just got a nice goofy mustache and yeah. acts like a dweeb. And and you know what? I do like Dewey throughout. You know, in in two and three, I think he really comes into his own as a character. But in Scream One, yeah, no, he he definitely is one of the goofier characters where they really didn't know what to do with this guy at this point they needed a sheriff for for he's got like you know the the mix of like yeah he's, he's in like, kind of still incompetent and bumbling but you know he's older now and he's it's kind of like oh yeah. you know yeah. um but one thing that we talked about with the with the 90s is that you know for a fact right away you know billy there's something going on with him because as you said he has jizz hair Seriously, looking back, looking at back at like, um, we'll get more in depth because I don't want to get too in depth into like the killers and the signals that this film puts out. But looking back, like, how did like nobody from the get go think that guy was like a prime suspect? He's got sociopath eyes. Yeah, Ski Ulrich actually plays it a little bit too well 
in the fact that, you, you know, at a certain point you're suspecting, and I don't know if this is from a perspective of having already seen it, but certainly watching now, you see him and you're like, all right, this guy's a little bit odd. You know, he's got something off about him. And like you said, part of it is like the, he does have the Sean hair from Boy Meets World, except for the fact that it's just not well quaffed. It's it's kind of all over the place. Well, you were, because you were kind of defending, like, oh, that was a style back then. It was the style. I go, yeah, it's like, yeah, again, I get it. But it's, it's like, yeah, the bowl cut was a style back then, too. I know. I had one. But at the same time. Kid with a bad bull cut, you're like, dude, that's a fucking bad bull cut. So Sean and Boy Meets World, greatly, beautifully quaffed hair, perfectly <laughs> parted, beautiful. You know, that just, sounds like the envious <laughs> someone that was envious of his hair. Well, back I'm in the 90s. Uh, well, no, it's it's I didn't watch Boy Meets World actually until like 2004 when it was rerunning on Disney. You know what I would have? You had the rat tail. I would have. The, you had the Alan Jackson rat tail. I would have the Don't... Ben Savage hair because I have the fucking curls. Yeah, and you also the, and you also had the rat tail. Don't the, let don't the naturally curly hair. Yeah, I mean, that's me. The fact your parents let you have a rat I tail. Never, see, that's the thing. I, maybe that's why I defended Ski Ulrich's hair in this film because that I was a little bit envious of that. You're like, I wish I, wish I, it... wish I could have that long flowing lock. I well, that I can't, goes into your eyes. I can't and, have long. I have wavy hair. You constantly it doesn't curl, but it's brush it's, aside that one drop yeah, down. Yeah, bang. but his I would say, but his Billy's Loomis's hair looks like like it's like it's the mole rats like with jizz in the hair. Like it's like that's what he used to like gel his hair. It's like you know. So well, Nev no Nev Campbell won't the fuck. man is sexually <laughs> deprived throughout the entire film. What else do you think he's gonna do with it? He's just pumping it into his sock all the time. No, why do that when you can well, just put it in your hair? I was, why buy hair gel? It's probably why in Scary Movie, when um, they finally have sex, you know, he blows a load and sticks like Anna Faris up to <laughs> the fucking ceiling. Cause yeah. It's just, it's a metaphor. The Wayne's brothers are smarter than you think, you know. It's true. But no, like, his his hair, like, especially with the way it's quaffed and his, the eyes he gives, oh, he, like, right off the bat, it's like, sociopath. And honestly, too, that gets me to um, Matthew Lillard's character, Stu, who is also right off the bat, sort of like your prime suspect, especially watching now, because he's like, they, there's no, they don't really try to downplay his sociopathic tendencies. Like right off the bat, after that murder occurs with Drew Barrymore's character, which lasts about 20 minutes of the first part of the film, Matthew Lillard's like talking about it in detail. Like, yeah, they gutted him from, you know, stomach to sternum. And, you know, this is how I'd do it if I was the killer. And at that point, you're like, you know, now you're thinking, wow, <laughs> this guy's obviously got some issues going on. It just shows the difference in the time periods. Back then, it's like, oh, that's still. Yeah. yeah. That's still. You know, just the only like... thing would be like if he was wearing a cannibal corpse shirt, the guy's totally normal. <laughs> yeah, he just likes death metal. He's totally normal. He wears, he listens to cannibal corpse. But Nice Casey Strange shirt, you know. No, at that time, it'd be cannibal corpse. Oh. You know, like. The tomb of uh, tomb of the mutilated shirt on, you know, gore, yeah, something like that, and that and that you know at that point you might be thinking like, well, he's a little, you know, he's a little off. He's to be to be more topical would been like they should just have someone in a Marilyn Manson shirt. Yeah, yeah, you know, a little bit. I of, mean, I know that's like like the ninety eights when they started like, oh, Marilyn Manson's ruining. Yeah, you you're like, so it'd be early, but still, yeah, you have your like suspenders hooked to your tongue ring. <laughs> it's like that's the norm. Yeah. 
Jinko jeans. No, 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 that's, that's too, no. too late. That'd be actually. that'd be scream too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I I was actually surprised how much with Stu they made him look, or they made him already like right from the first scene that you meet Stu, you already are thinking like this guy's a little weird, <laughs> talking about you know just casually talking about dissecting people and stuff like that. Well, I mean he's with Hor McGowan. I mean Rose McGowan. That's true as well. That comes off as insensitive, but come on. Rose, she Rose she is, always plays like I f- I feel bad for because like every role she's gotten is like play play the slutty girl. This movie absolutely does you know, no certain does no was casting her was like put on you know and she wears this same sweater twice and two separate days yeah the sweater that she's wearing with no bra and somebody was like put on the sweater she put it on and she was like it's a little bit itchy mm-hmm. like. Yeah, that's the point because it's itching against your nipples and causing them to get nice erect. and erect for us. No, see, and that, not only, and that's what they were looking for. Not only, not only that, too. Again, I feel bad for it because it's like every film in the '90s. They told her, "Yeah, it's great. Um, can you take your bra off? Yeah, you, you have to. You know, and, be, and not only that, be but it was like, you know, you're expected to be. You know, you're the slutty friend for sure. For sure, you're a slutty friend." And, you know, you're going to be the friend to the person who's, like, sort of a virgin, not really sure if she's, you know, if it's the right time for her. Like, because, like, she would have been perfect in American Pie if it wasn't by the time that that came out in 99 that she was already, like, you know. Yeah, too old for that role. Yeah. Well, not too, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't say too old. I'd say, like, she's already been, like, she's famous because yeah. American Pie was made on a low budget. So it's all made, you know. Yeah, I think, you know. Like, and, um, what's her name? She's in Orange is the New Black now. Um. Curly haired, she plays uh, Nikki in American Pie. Like if that yeah. was if that was a couple of years earlier, that could have been her. Uh-huh. You know, and yeah. the, and the, like, oh, I have already hit. You know, right? Natasha, which is, um, yeah, yeah, which is funny because you know Tara reads in that film is like, oh, I never had you know yeah. never done it before, and like it's like <laughs> looking back, that's funny. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, but so you, you got Rose McGowan, she's playing you know total. You know, even though that this film is really like uh, reserved in its, especially for a slasher film, it's really reserved in its nudity and its sexuality. You don't see any. You don't. See, yeah, you don't get anything, which is really surprising. And you don't even get um, in Halloween because they, there's a whole scene where they're showing Halloween <laughs> on TV and they're talking about the nubile young co-ed who's um, going to show her tits. And they don't even show that. And it's, it's that makes sense. If you're not gonna have boobs in the film, you're not gonna do it. Like, oh, here's the boobs in the film that you're watching. You know that they're watching. Some people yeah. get away with that. Yeah. I but I don't think that you know. I think they especially during the '90s where things were a lot stricter. If Endgame came out in '96 and they had dropped those like six shit bombs, R. And that's what blows my mind, you know, is the fact that, you know, it's like, that's that's allowed today? That's still PG-13? You can just say shit as much as you want? Yep. You know, wasn't there a South Park episode where they tried to get away with seeing how many times they could say shit? And it was like 168 times? <laughs> uncensored? Point aside. Anywho, but no, like, Rose McGowan's here. Like, she's the other part that, like, she should have been also in. I know what you did last summer to really make that 90s dream team, you know? Yeah. Super... Cause she's in all these films, but she's here to play the promiscuous friend. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say slutty, but she, no, 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 yeah, even so, know, she's not really, yeah. 
because they don't really play that up. She's with Stu, obviously, and and the one thing they that's... just have her dressing like 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 oh she's yeah. she's wearing the shorts like the, the, literally the tightest sweater that you can ever get and the most mid nineties skirt that's like a fucking Grateful Dead like tie dye yeah thing especially and... the very very random showing up of of a. Uh, football jersey that she's wearing as a crop top, which is really strange. That, no, because that's that's a super nineties thing. Yeah, but it was never mentioned. Like, why this looks like a really weird, like it's just like a yeah, but futuristic was, gray. I know, but that was the nineties. Again, weird... that was the nineties. Reach back in your memory, and you'll be like, that was a thing. But one of the interesting things I find about Rose McGowan's character is that there's literally no motive for her to be killed because. It really doesn't make any sense well, whatsoever. There's no motive for anyone to be killed outside of Sydney and Yeah, I mean obviously they're targeting her in some way. So I guess the motive there is that they're just trying to make Sydney as scared as possible because her them killing Tatum is going to really affect her as she's their her best friend. Yeah. So other than that though, it's kind of surprising because you know the film does follow some ideas of like these guys are psychopaths that really don't have any motive. And at the same time, it kind of backtracks on that, and it gives Billy a motive where Stu doesn't really have one. Why are you? Why are you ruining who's the killer? Come on! Yeah, you. Spoiler. Ruin the movie. But uh, podcast over. We're going they, off. They really don't give you know anything about Stu except for the fact that he's sort of obsessed with Billy, and that's I think the if majority you, of well, the, I think if you like psychoanalyze it more. Like if you think if you think about it more, like in which I've read forum discussions and stuff about it, he's like Billy's like the control because spoiler alert: there's two killers in this film. That's the big twist in this film is that instead there's not just one killer, there's two killers. Yeah, it's been done before. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm not I'm not trying to take away from okay, the you, impact of okay. You pick a film that did better than you know just before dawn. And it, two killers. Okay, and how much money did it make? How much cultural impact did it have? In the nineteen eighties. So none. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't no one fucking cares? Yeah. So it's, it's kind. Of, it's kind of like uh, with the, the film when they were talking about they're doing horror trivia and they're like, "Who's the killer in Friday the Thirteenth? It was Jason. No, it was Pam Voorhees. You know what? No one cares. She's in one fucking film in the yeah. first one. No one cares. No one cares. So that's the same thing with that. No one cares. <laughs> Scream did it. Made the more most money. It wins. It's pop. It's pop icon. Yeah. So, anywho, first major film to have two killers. So you find out at the end it's Bill, Billy and Stu. Billy's got. He tells you his motive and like explains it. And it's like, oh, that makes sense. Stu seemed. If you watch him, it's not explicitly said. And outside of he says like peer pressure because you know it's the nineties, dare man. <laughs> stuff like that um but like if you watch how like billy and Stu interact it seems to, like be like Stu's got like and it's not explicitly said or anything but the way it's played up is that he's got like a billy's got like a god complex and Stu follows him yeah relentlessly because you can see you see it like not just like when they're interacting at the end like doing their whole plan but like when like in the they're in the video store and they're talking to Jamie Kennedy, you know, like, Stu's like, yeah, man, fucking tell him, man, yeah. Tell him Billy, it's great, yeah, yeah, it's great, man. Yeah, all these things, man. It's not Billy, man. Billy's not doing it. Billy would never do that. Yeah, man. You know, 
Billy's the best, you know. So like throughout the whole film, he's kind of like Billy, man. And Billy's so great. Yeah, man. You know. Yeah. So he's got like, um, they don't go into depth into it, but there's some kind of like, you know, power submissive role there. If you want to like, sure, get ri- if you re- want to overanalyze, which I like I said, I've <laughs> not re- like Reddit posts, but like. You know, film theory like talk about it. It's like, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Sure, there, I mean, there's also like, like some power dynamic between the two. There, where, there's also references to Billy and Stu perhaps having some sort of gay relationship as well. Especially Stu, Billy, not so much. Doesn't really seem like he has a specific relationship for anyone in particular. Even Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell so no, I don't know. power over her yeah. that she, you know, she wants to He's, give up her virginity. Well, to I her. think it's more too like he, like you're right. I don't think he has like an actual interest in her. I think it's more like he's being denied something. Like yeah, that's he does, like he doesn't feel like he should be denied anything. Yeah, it's and it's not that he want like oh he's got to have sex with her. It's more like he's being denied that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it almost and seems which, like which he doesn't it, really care. So about it's forbidden this. fruit because at, at the end, after they have sex, it's not like, oh, thank God, I don't have to kill anymore. Like I put all this pent up fucking jizz in my. He's like, <laughs> just like, he's like, after she's like looking at him, like, so how do you feel? And he's like, I'll fucking kill you. Yeah, yeah. yeah he gets, he get, he hops more instead of like playing up the whole like what's going on here. He's like, I'm gonna fucking. I got what I wanted, you know. I'm yeah, fucking kill you now. It's more about the I couldn't have it, so the I need forbidden to get it fruit, before yeah. you know anything else happens. But with Stu, you do have sort of the, especially towards the end where he puts his head, you know his head on his sh- on Billy's shoulder and things like that. You have sort of the gay dynamic that Stu may be looking for something more in this relationship than I don't. Th- I don't. I don't think. I I don't think it is. I mean, I I have seen that float yeah. out there too. I don't think it's so much that. I think it's more like an idol, just an idolization and fascination. I don't think it has to be. I don't think it's sexual. I think it's it's really interesting, and I agree. I don't I don't I don't really subscribe to the gay theory as well. I just think it's something that's out there, and it's also interesting to view it for, from a gay person's perspective. Of that, you know, that's kind of an interesting aspect of their relationship yeah. that you could see within this film. It's certainly not something that is discounted in this film. You could. You can absolutely find reason to think that. Uh, so I think that's interesting. But I think what's more interesting is actually looking at um, the way that Scream portrays its killers and how it does follow some of the profilings of actual serial killers. Mm-hmm. Because as I was mentioning to you, that first scene with Drew Barrymore, which does mm-hmm. last about you know a good 15 minutes of the film, which, which tacks on quite a bit is sort of uh, parodying Psycho a little mm. bit and that you have this big actress who you would expect to be going on throughout most Which of the Which I was telling you, too, like, I don't remember Drew Barrymore being, like, that big of a fucking actress. She wasn't Janet Leap in the mid-90s. Janet, I think the bigger thing was that she was a center point of the poster. Post- so you have her featured. I mean, like, I, 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 I get that, but at the same time, it's like... All I can think of off the top of my head, before, like, I know her films after Scream. Sure. The only films I can think of off the top of my head that I've seen before Scream is, like, Babes in Toyland and fucking E.T. And Fire Firestarter, Never I, saw I Offered. Yeah. And stuff like, you know. But, she, I like, but like, after that, she's in a lot, like, you know, she's in a lot more films after yeah. that. And, like, at least I stick with my mind, but that's because after... 
I'm a little bit older in the late 90s, so I can remember things better, like, you know. I think the reversal was just that. She's on the poster. Seems like she's a I know, but like I said, pe- like, like people made it, like, because f- people made it to be a big deal. Like, oh, did they kill Drew Barrymore? Like, oh, uh-huh. oh. It's like, yeah, no, she was, she was like the, in the early 90s, like, oh, I'm the teen, the child star that's a crackhead now. Like, ah, oh, you know. <laughs> Looking for redemption, and by the late 90s, I fall into the same trap because I married Tom Green. Oh! I, I totally blame her yeah. because she didn't smell that fucking burnt popcorn. I mean... I blame her because who the fuck, even by the mid-90s, making their popcorn over... Jiffy Pop with the... Uh, gaslight, yeah. you know. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. That's... Stick it in the microwave and forget it. Hit the popcorn. Never, in, the never in my life have I made popcorn that way. In the pop... In the microwave? No, no, no. Oh, it's a Jiffy Pop. Yeah, like yeah. Jiffy Pop. Like, put it over your I stove. I mean, if you and... really want to be nostalgic and stick it over the campfire, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you can, but... Ne- never. Just never. It's always been like, here's a microwavable bag. Real pain in the ass. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that, because it tends to... It does tend to burn. I mean, I like burnt popcorn, so... Right, yeah. But uh, what I was saying is, uh, <laughs> so, you, so you, you know, um, you have this element of um, Drew Barrymore at the beginning. She's taking these phone calls um i don't know what i was going to say at this point what was that and how, and how is that iconic like janet lee and psycho okay but i was going for somewhere else i i'm now i can't now <laughs> your hand the fact that your hand is like almost in my eyeball is like discerning me <laughs> now i like, now i got lost in my own thought process of where i was going with that thought so how long it was no no it was it was i even got to that oh how the murder her murder you were saying how her murder yes that's right the the profiling of the killers that's right that's right so i was saying you know at the beginning of the film that ballsy murder of killing her on the front porch as her parents are home in the house is a really it, it would be something that would be so obscure and rare for a first-time killer to do that I do like where Scream goes with that and Kevin Williamson puts it into the script that, you know, obviously this is not their first killing. This is something that they've experimented with before and that they've finally got down to sort of a science of, like, messing with their mm. messing with their prey and then eventually killing them because that's not something that a normal, like, first-time killer would do. They wouldn't, you know, once the parents came home, they'd be out of there. They'd be like... Fuck it, this is too much and we kinda, for we, me. And we kind of see that later on with yeah. like, people popping up. Uh, yeah. I got a problem with that scene because the fact that she's using her like her cordless phone like halfway out her the yard. Stretching yeah. too far. Well. You'd get out to that part and be like, I'm sorry, you're breaking up. I, I don't know what you're saying. Just be like... Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, if anybody used cordless phones before, you know you can't really get far from the receiver before. It just, you know completely drops out but i do like that whole scene and what i like more about scream is that it doesn't treat its killer like a faceless killer that knows what it's doing and is sort of machine-like in its roboticness like michael myers michael myers is completely robotic the fact the fact that he's quipping it's kind of like oh it's kind of like friday like because he's asking trivia and like having jokes asking trivia but he's also super doofy throughout the entire film if you watch Ghostface particularly. Well, I was going to say, after you find out that it's Billy and Stu, and, it's like, yeah. and it leads, uh, it makes it seem like Stu's the one that's been mainly doing the killing. It's like, yeah, that makes sense because he's a fucking clumsy oaf going, <laughs> I, I do like that because, like, you know, if you watch Scary Movie, they really play up the fact that he's, like, completely clumsy. 
But if you watch Ghostface throughout Scream, he really is a cl- like super clumsy, doesn't know what he's doing, flailing limbs all the time. He gets knocked down like numerous times. I, I didn't do an account of how many times he actually gets knocked down, but I would say it's like <laughs> six or seven times of like, you know, getting hit by a door, getting kneed in the groin, all of those types of things. And I like that because he's not, you know, though they have... Which, by the way, what, what a great... N- Drew Barrymore fucking bleeding out, been stabbed like three times, and somehow musters up like the fucking Kenshiro from Fist of the North Star, like knee to the groin. Yeah, how is she? I was like wondering, like, how, how are you able to lift your knee up? You're you were just stabbing the side of the neck, you know? Yeah, but I do. <laughs> I like that about Ghostface in this film that he's really not your typical killer. That's just like constantly focused on a deed and that's all he does and he, you know he doesn't really make mistakes um ghostface makes a ton of mistakes and that makes sense for a 16 year old killer and i think that we came to the conclusion that most of the time Stu is the one that's doing the the actual murdering it almost and stabby stab no i can't remember because i've read discussions too about it because people again have seen it more than i have and you have combined and have really broken down the film bit by bit to figure out these things yeah um, I can't remember, and I've read topics about, like, people reading, like, oh, who killed this person when, and so on, and why would that would make sense due to continuity, et cetera, et cetera. But from just watching it from this time, it seems like Stu would be the one doing, like, almost, I feel like almost all the killing. Because if you go back on the whole, like, power dynamic thing, it seems like something that, like, Billy just w- probably would not be bothered with until it came to Sydney. Like, Sydney, he, that would be the one he's got to fucking kill. Yeah. But the rest of them, I'm just like... The only one that you can really argue that Stu may not have done was the garage murder with um, Rose McGowan's character. Because Billy's the one that shows up late to the party after that. And Stu's already there. But at the same well, time, Stu's you really the, don't know... Stu, I think, was that the same part, though? Stu goes, oh, when they're discussing the rules of the game. Yeah, and, and you really don't... I mean, I, I would say that in most scenarios in this film... Billy doesn't make sense to be the killer because he is the mastermind. He's the, he's not going to want to get his hands dirty. Well, you know, he's obviously got cops kind of investigating him and stuff like that. I think it makes sense that Stu is the one, especially with the whole, how, um, like off kilter ghost faces through most of it. And just very, you know, sort of the same sort of di- dynamics that Stu has throughout in animations. I think it's mostly Stu doing all yeah, these murders. It's not. It wouldn't be Billy cocking his head like a cocker spaniel, who's like, "What's going on?" You know, that'd yeah. be you know when Ghostface is looking, it'd be it'd be Stu going like, "Huh?" You know, when he's looking at somebody, or like tapping the window, like you know when uh, when Gail's, you oh, know, with the keys, yeah, yeah. When, when Gail's in the car and she doesn't. I have mean, the not, keys. G- not Gail, um, Sydney, but like that'd be something like Stu would do, not like yeah. Billy, because again, if you like. Especially as the film goes on. Billy, by the end of the film, the third act of the film, is totally down fucking Ted Bundy lane of just like, you know, yeah, cold, you know, sociopath, just like, what's going on? Yeah, and he really yeah. doesn't have many jokes to do either. He's not sort of like the joking type. He doesn't um, mess around. He's more serious throughout. And I, I, I would argue that Stu's got to be doing most of the killings throughout the film. If there's anything that, that Billy may do it, he may help in some ways to like make sure that, you know, cause obviously some of the things have to be done in quick succession, especially like the, uh, when Henry Winkler with his character mm-hmm. and the principal is in his office and they're knocking on the door 
That's running. almost and they. It's almost like un, impossible for them to both be do or to, for only one of them to be doing that. So, I think that Billy may help out, but for the most part, he's the one taking the calls. It does sound like Skeet Ulrich's voice in the voice recorder that's changing his voice, and so I would argue that Stu's got to be doing. He's he's committed most of the murders, almost all of them. The one thing that really does stand out though is that. Um, Nev Campbell's character, um, Sydney's mother, is raped and murdered. The rape is sort of a standout because we've never really seen the the sexual frustration of that so much in their killings. I, but I think it has to do though with the fact that with Billy, because you find out at the yeah. end that Sydney's mom is was the village bike and a whore. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, you know, slept with everybody in town, um, and that she slept with Billy's father, and that's yeah. what ruined the marriage, that, I, you know, that he, he might have taken that tension out on her before, you know, the murder, to be like, how's, you know, how's this feel, you know, you bitch. My, we don't see, we don't get the details throughout the, fran- throughout the franchise, we don't get the details or anything about it, but that's, you know, what we're divulged in this film so my theory is that billy did that one and Stu did the rest billy actually did the rape and murder of of sydney's mother and that was like his sole one because that would have been his most prominent and personal uh encounter and then Stu did the rest of them well Stu, i think yeah well i think Stu probably found something out about it or watched or something and you know yeah, saw that, something and then like you know they teamed up but no you're right that would because be again idea. because again if we go off the whole Stu killed you know still the idea that Stu probably killed most of them again at the end it seems like billy wants to make sure at the end he's the one that kills sydney and her father at the end to kind of tie it all together yeah so that's those are the ones that he gets to take and kill and Stu gets to kill the rest of the ones that are just for uh Shits and giggles, I guess. Yeah. Um, one thing we didn't talk about is uh, Gail as a character. We didn't talk about Courtney, uh, Cox. Courtney Cox here. Court, uh, well, at the time, Courtney Cox Arquette. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think in Scream, she was still Courtney Cox. And then maybe Scream 2 or Scream 3, she became Courtney Cox Arquette because of the close relationship between Courtney Cox and David Arquette. Because they were married? Yeah. <laughs> well, the cl- close relationship... During the filming that led to their marriage. God, what an odd couple, isn't that? It is an odd couple. When you think about it, yeah. it's just because... The one thing I, I always wonder about with like these actor-actress couples is like, you know, wh- when you're in the character, especially in something like Scream where you're recurring those characters, at a certain point when you're supposed to be together in the film... You're, it becomes hard to separate yourself well, as was, an a, not an actor and actress in a film. Well, as I was telling you, because you have the whole like stereotypical like oh, and like the man falls on the you know because they're kind of showing interest in each other. Like oh hi hi yeah what's up hi hi yeah hi. And the scene you have where you know the cars almost hit him and Dewey falls on top of her. It's like God, that's like every fucking movie. It's like I don't know if I like him or not. Oh, he's on top of it. Yeah, I can see this being. This isn't the worst thing. Well, you know why? You know, because it's just, at that point when he's on top, you can feel the boner. Yeah. Is it worth it or not? So that's that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So it's like, huh. Yeah, and that's not the worst, you know. It's not the worst thing. 5.5. 5. <laughs> 
So I'll go for it. That's that's what they're thinking in that scenario. <laughs> That's all I can think of. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible trope. It's something that I don't care for in films. Yeah. Like the incident, uh, and it's like, oh. Well, the funny thing about Scream is that for all of its um, inspirations for other films, it also relies on a lot of tropes. And it gets away with those because it can say, well, you know what? They were actually homages to other films. Or, you know, like, oh, we're... We're subverting it. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that kind of brings us back to the meta aspect of this film, which we talked about a little bit at the beginning. Well, you didn't, we, you didn't talk about Courtney Cox. That's because we already got through all of it. That's, oh. it. that's, all, that's all there is to say about her for, as a character. Terrible hair. Yeah. You know. I, I mean, really, there, at least in Scream <laughs> itself, there's really not that much to say. It's Scream kinda, 2 and Scream 3. It's kind through. of amazing that like they brought her back. I mean, great. Right. I, I, I know, Grin, by the time Scream 2 rolls around, Friends is fucking making that goddamn money, you know, over and over again. But at the same time, it's like, when you look back, it's like, it's Scream 1, she's the fucking annoying reporter that they decide to constantly come back because she's Courtney Cox and she's in Scream. I mean, she's in Friends. You know, yeah. as I told you, it's like, I was like, just imagine this film if they got the other friends girl. Yeah. I would Instead argue- of Jennifer Anderson, they got Lisa Kudrow, you know? <laughs> I would argue that she's really not that important in this film at all. And it is surprising that they brought her back for Scream 2 and Scream 3. But at least in those films, they're able to flesh her out a little bit more. Well, it it, make, it does make sense from the fact that she's the one that's been writing books on the events happening right. around. So it makes sense like for her to be like a secondary character. But by Scream 2, she's a she's a central character yeah and i think that in screen they just really don't do that much to really highlight her character except for the very very uh like mundane things that they bring up she's a reporter she's kind of fishy you know can't be trusted that sort of thing yeah but it's, it's all it's the same thing too like as we talk about with dewey and david arquette like how it's like if you look back at this film it's like well he's got really nothing to do except be a total fucking dweeb yeah you know he takes yeah exactly you know, as the films go on there's much more development yeah you know it, as the cast by scream 2 becomes nev campbell david arquette and courtney cox so yeah, sort of got rid of the other ski arc yeah, Matthew Lillard, they're out. So, and then Jamie Kennedy's unfortunately got decided to be like you, Jamie Kennedy. He's you're ro- rolled in a little bit. You know, you're yeah. Uh, but I was what I was going to say about the meta is that you know this film is really <laughs> remembered for its meta aspect. But as we said, it's really not that meta. So we do have a few elements where they bring up specific films. Halloween is the big one. Halloween is the one that is mentioned multiple times. Even though Wes Craven does get a little bit of a uh, um, Do you think John Carpenter was probably mad about that? What the Halloween got featured? Yeah, he's probably because like, yeah, by by '96 we're in full pissed off grumpy John Carpenter mode. Yeah. So he's probably he's si- probably sitting at home like motherfucker couldn't reference his own film. But well, yeah, yeah, Wes Craven does get that slight reference into Nightmare on Elm Street, but. Slight. Well, it's, it's there's a reference. It's, there's a, there's it's Wes a, Craven dressed as Freddy Krueger. There's a dialogue, and then there's the more on the nose Freddy aspect. But um, the that would have been better if they actually got you know Freddy to be Freddy for that instead of Wes dressed up. Robert England, yeah, to be get, Freddy. Robert, uh, especially because the last Freddy film, you had him hopping out like on TV, like ah, you know? yeah, yeah. But uh, they really are running with Halloween in this because not only do they get Halloween featured on TV. They they mention it numerous times. It's Drew Barrymore's favorite film. They also have the theme to Halloween that plays 
and it's not exactly the same, but it, I mean, it's basically the theme to Halloween. It's, uh, you know, it's like, ding, 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 ding. So it's, it's really similar to the Halloween theme and, and they're really running with that. So that in itself, I think would be a pretty big reference for meta commentary for this film because most people would know Halloween. The rest at, the same, at the same time, yeah. to go off, it does fit Halloween well. Because people have an image in their mind of Halloween and Scream that aren't what the films actually are. And we talked about that when we reviewed Halloween, how like people have like, oh, it's like this gory like, yeah. kill fest. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. Nothing. It, Scream is very similar. And it's the same thing. Like, yeah. people had these, like, nostalgic memories. Like, we had, like, because I, like, when the whole, like, um, gutting of uh, Steve in the beginning happened, I remember being, like, his throat getting slit as a kid. That's not what happened, though. Yeah. We don't even get to see it. So it's like the same thing. It's got, like, in that sense, same homages. That, like, people had these nostal- like nostalgic memories of it that are probably filled with, like, their own fears and ideas of what happened, but then it actually happened. Yeah, and Scream is really not gory at all, too. It's important to point out, like, it has very little gore in it. That Probably that intestine scene is one of the goriest scenes in the film. But you don't see it. It's just afterwards you, just, you see the aftermath, yeah. and that, and by today's standards, that's not, that'd give you a PG thirteen rating. Yeah. You know, like it's very, uh, it's very mild by today's standards, and there's no nudity. You know, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a very mild film, but the meta commentary I think is a little bit more pronounced <laughs> for what people, you know, people think about now. It's just really the meta is just that they bring up the rules of horror slasher films, and and it's not even that like it, it like. Not even nearly as in depth as I remember being as a kid. It might be because I'm mixing like Scream One, Two, and Three, yeah, all I their rules that, together. Yeah, Two and, and Three like, get a little bit more in depth. But, but like, but they're not even with those films. They're not that in depth. But like, it's like in my mind as a kid, I like it seems like oh, there's like so much more that went, like I thought would happen when they describe this stuff. And I, it's like, and I think back, it's like no, what I'm doing is I'm combining all three films, and they're. Combining into this film. Yeah. yeah. I was actually, I'm surprised because some of the rules that come up in Scream are just like, you know, turn around. Being <laughs> yeah. the, the biggest scene with Jimmy, Jimmy Kennedy sitting on the couch, yeah. sort of drunkenly watching Halloween while Ghostface is creeping around <laughs> behind him, bumbling around with a knife. Well, they make it, that one's like the most meta scene because you got him like, turn around, Jamie, turn around. He's referring to, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis and, in Halloween. And they're like, turn around, Jamie. He's like, I... Yeah. Now I think that's more meta now when you think about it than probably then because nobody knew who the fuck Jamie Kennedy was in 1996. So that probably like until maybe like the because at the end of the film probably people like oh who who played Randy oh some guy named Jamie wow that that's pretty funny you know (laughs) (laughs) took till the credits to figure that out you know like I said because there's no IMDb so it's not like afterwards like you're or like when the scene's happening on your phone like who the fuck you know. Yeah, that is true. It is true, but at the same time, I feel like some of the rules really don't. I mean, they're just—they don't really stand out in this film. You get a couple of references, like you get a prom night reference. I would say that even in this film, Kevin which Anderson I was stretching a little bit, which I mean, which I haven't even seen prom night. Uh, so but I, I would say tell. like prom night as a reference is stretching it. It's not really that you know close in in theme to scream. So well, not only I think too. I like I do like that whole video store scene where they're describing who like they're discussing who could be the killer. Yeah, and 
and afterwards we can talk about, get more in depth about the whole killer and red herring situation. But I like that they're discussing it. And I like how Jamie Kennedy is tying in the film, like different horror slasher films into it and describe, sit, talking about it. But, and I like how he says everybody is a suspect. Yeah. That's really cool. And, you know, fits really well. The problem, especially in hindsight, looking back at this film, this film has practically no suspects. Yeah. And not only that, most slasher films don't follow the rule, everybody's a suspect. Because if you fucking pay attention to most slasher films, right off, like, the first 30 minutes, you can narrow it down to, like, two to three people. Yeah. And it's the same thing in Scream. Off the bat, out of, like, the four people they give you who could be suspects, which are... Billy, Stu, Randy, Jamie, uh, Jamie Kennedy's character, and Sydney's dad. Yeah, there's literally out after like when you like pay attention to this film, there's no way it's Jamie Kennedy, and there's no way that it's Sydney's dad. Yeah, like because we've never seen this guy besides the one time that he shows up at her door, knocking on it like bedroom explains it all. Well, that's what I was missing. Like when Sam, uh, when uh, Billy comes up through the window and spooks, like, uh, like why not? Just, like that's the perfect opportunity to have Nev Campbell when he comes in. Like, hey, Billy, and you're like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I got yeah, some tickets I, to I, Pearl I would, Jam. I would, I would say like there's just no like in in the viewer's mind because because Nev's dad is not even anywhere in the film besides that one like two minute scene. And, and you're and not I, even thinking about. So that like I don't know like from somebody who was an adult or in their teens or whatever in the 90s, who have at least a cognizant mind yeah. watching this film, what they were thinking of, like, who could be the killer in this film? Because, I mean, I'm not counting the early times I saw it as a kid because I'm a fucking kid and I'm an idiot and I can't process, you know, these types of <laughs> yeah. things. But, like, even, like, as a teen, like, as, like, a 13-year-old watching this film, it's like, right, it's like, either Billy or Stu is the killer. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you, you know, end so, up with that sort of thing where you're thinking, like, it's one or the other. It can't be both. That's one thing that Scream does well is that it doesn't really emphasize the fact that there could be two. It's really... Well, it's, not, it's nothing, like, that really stands out that makes, like, well, how, like, oh. Because sometimes in horror, like, slasher films, are like, well, how did they do that? There'd have to be two people to do that. But yeah. you find out it's still just, nope, just one person. Jason's got magical powers to tell, you know, do all yeah. that. So in this, it's, like, subverting, like, oh, there actually is two killers. Which is cool, and I respect that. But at the same time, I don't... It's, like, a such a well-known twist. By the time, like, I'm 13 years old and able to kind of, like, process and, like, think of these types of things, it, like, I don't really give a damn because it's like, oh, you know. Yeah. You, it's already... You already knew it. Yeah. You already knew... It's yeah, already been spoiled. I, yeah. I believe that is probably one of the problems is that we us watching it now... I don't know if there was ever really a time when I was watching Scream where I didn't know. No, that is Billy and Stu. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, but at the same time, it is hard. Even watching it, like if I was like to think about it, like I've never seen this film before, and I'm watching it for the first time, I may not pick up on there's actually two killers. But at the same time, there's no way in my head, no matter how many times I watch this film, that there's any way I would ever pick up on. Oh, it's Sydney's dad, or it's fucking Jamie Kennedy. It'd be like it's either Billy or Stu. And I think the fact that there's not there's not enough explored between the whole cast of characters in this film, um, that's one of the weak points. Is because the red herrings aren't even close to being red herrings. They're just, 
And that's something they even point out in the film. Like, when you have Jamie, uh, Jamie Kennedy pointing out, like, no, that... It's not, it's not Sydney's dad. That's a goddamn red herring, you know. Mm. You know, the film's telling you. Jamie Kennedy's telling you that, you know, what's supposed to happen. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, which is funny because I think, I think that's meta commentary too. Like, he's telling you the fucking ending. And like, people are like, oh, and he just watches horror movies, you know. But at the same time, in hindsight, watching it now, like no matter how many times I watch this film, it's n- there's nothing that makes me think ever like, huh? Who you know? Who would that be? Mm. Compared to other films in the franchise, which I won't specify, where even to this day, it's kind of like, yeah, that's pretty clever. You know, cleverly thought out. One thing that stands out to me is this film is an hour and fifty minutes. It doesn't really feel like it. And no. It also does not have. What's kind of surprising is it doesn't have a great character study despite uh, an hour and 50 minutes. Like, you don't get... Everyone is as shallow as can be. Right, yeah. You don't... Like, for... I'm I'm now, even now, struggling to think about, like, how they spent the hour and 50 minutes. Because, like I said, it doesn't really feel like it's that long. At the same time, though, once you get done with it, you're like, well, we didn't really know these characters very well. No, by the end of this film, you don't know anybody. Yeah. And that's why I think, again, we're like, after the franchise has gone on, it's like... I think people have this nostalgia and misleading in their mind of like who Sydney, Dewey, and Gail are as characters. At least from the first film. Because in the first film, they're literally, and I think the whole point in the first film, because I don't think at the time they were thinking of sequel. Right. Until like with the box office return. Yeah, I mean, they joked about it, but they weren't. I know, but I think, I don't think they were thinking, because obviously the film flopped, they're not going to bother. But that film made money. You know, Miramax is going to be like, you know, come on, let's pump another one out. Right. So, I mean,. But I think the po- I think that's kind of intentional though that everyone's supposed to be kind of a character uh, a character trope. Sydney's the virgin, mm-hmm. Rose McGowan's the whore, <laughs> uh, Dewey's the goofball cop that's incomp. You know, because you know I was telling I told you and you agreed like if the John Saxon was here this case would be solved like that. You know <laughs> the one. The one competent cop in all of slasher films, you know, but, yeah. every, you know, you always have incompetent cops in these films. Um, you got Henry Winkler, like the uptight authority figure. You got uh, Jamie Candy as the nerd, except this time it's a 90s form because he watches movies and so he works at a video store. And, you know, so they all have very, like, shallow, just niche tropes yeah. that fit the slasher genre because for the most part, they always have just very shallow, you know, shallow characters. It is just surprising, though, how long they spend in this movie. And you kind of think back on it and you're like, what do they spend it on? And I guess they spend it on chase sequences that, you know, sort of are suspenseful. And like I said, Drew Barrymore's scene at the beginning of the film is really like a 15 to 20 minute scene of talking on the phone, suspenseful moments. I w- I'm not knocking it. I do think that the fil- the scenes are still suspenseful and the the way that they're played up with the phone calls. I still think it's a gr- it's a great opening. It is a great opening. It's it's a long-winded opening, but it's a great one. But I'm just struggling now to think about like at an hour and 50 minutes, what did I s- what did I witness that like took up that much amount of time? I I think that's not always a bad thing. I mean, if you're struggling to figure out why the film didn't feel as long as it actually was, then that they did something right because they they made sure that you as a, a viewer were engaged engaged in that film throughout the entire thing. But at the same time, I'm trying to think back and say like, 
yeah, all of these moments added up to something um, concrete, and I really can't because I think that part of it is, yeah, they, they really applied the stereotypes on purpose. At the same time, is that really a good use of your time to have just stereotypes? I think, you know, at Scream 2 and 3, they really get more into the characters that you you come to know with Gale and Dewey, and, but... And do, well, you're, and you're forgetting 4, too. I'm not forgetting stop, 4, but... Stop I'm, forgetting 4. I'm not forgetting 4, but I'm not including it in the trilogy so much because I think that 2 and 3 are really the areas where you get Gale and, and Dewey, and then 4 is more like, hey, we want to bring them back because it's, you know, it's kind of fun and nostalgic. So I'm, that's huh. why I'm leaving 4 out from that... Mm. Um, that you know the series of three that I I really believe to be where they built up most of the characters. Uh, four is more where they they kind of jump off from that, and it's almost like sort of remake territory where they're. Well, kind that's of, kind of yeah. That's and, the, th- the theme and, of four. And, and, is. And so that's why I'm kind of leaving that out. But I think that like it is surprising that you don't get that much character study in one. But I think that also lends itself to two and three, which we'll obviously talk about in the next shows, where you do get more character out of those people when you when you see them in action in those two films. So, interesting. What do you think of the Kevin Smith uh, cameo? <laughs> the guy? You mean the, the Kenny, cameraman? Kenny the, cam- Kenny the cameraman. The fat, at, the fat tub of lard cameraman for Gail Weathers. I like Kenny the cameraman. He, I told you, like, I asked him, like, like, I know, like, uh, Kevin Smith is working, like, doing, like, mir- films for Miramax at the time. Like, he's done Clerks and Chasing Amy's about to come out. Clerks shows up in this film so uh, as a VHS tape. Well, yeah, like, so he's, like, do- he did Clerks and he's doing Chasing Amy. Mall Rats wasn't done by, like, produced by Miramax. But it's like, man, like, he looked like, th- it's kind of like someone said, like, hey, Wes, get somebody to... Yeah, it looked like Fill Kevin, in for Kevin Smith and the. He's a you know. cross between Kevin Smith and Danny McBride, as I said when we were watching it. Um, I like Kenny. I think that he puts up with a lot of Gail shit, and he seems happy to do it. He just is really like into being a cameraman who's breaking news. I just love the fact that Top Story, you know, is you know that's all it's called is Top, top Story. story. Yeah. It's like this MTV style, which we don't even really get to see like what the show's like. But it's like, did she it, say her audience is eleven to twenty four? She said she her peak audience. What is kind of what that's kind not of a demo. News, that's not a demo. What kind of news broadcast has an eleven year old age group? Yeah, I'll tell you, Kurt Loader and MTV News. Not eleven. That's like that's what we're missing from today. Is Kurt Loader? Eleven year old in nineteen ninety six was watching you, news religiously. Don't you, don't you miss MTV? They're watching all that. Fat cow, Jack Campbell, team. They're watching all that with uh, you know uh, Lori Beth Denberg with Vital Information <laughs> instead. Uh, but no, like 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 that's what. Don't you miss like MTV News and that like. I, I gotta say, I never really watched MTV News. It wasn't like an actual news show. It'd be like in between commercial breaks. Yeah, you have like, like, a like I'm Kurt Loader. Here's some MTV News, you know. That's that's what that's what top story was. Except she just covers basically like serial killers and all I could think of when they were saying like Gail Weathers' top story is like Daria, like Six Sad World. Gail Weathers' like, top story would be like pile drive, getting pile drive by an eight inch. Dick because she <laughs> she's got a porn star name. She she she's talks like, about oh, that. Like, she I, says, oh, "I sound like a meteorologist," but no, <laughs> sounds like a made up name for a porn star. 
Exactly. I guarantee if you look it up right now, Gail Weathers. Somebody has Gail Weathers. <laughs> Somebody has Gail Weathers. Yeah. Uh, anything else that you can think of to talk about Scream? I think we, we covered a lot of it that I can, you know, I think that we can bring light to that others, you know, may have may have probably touched on, but we, we covered some things. I mean, it's such, such a part of the zeitgeist. As you said, yeah. it is pr- pretty hard at this point to, like, it's hard, cover new ground. It's hard to bring up something that, like, you either haven't heard before or, you you know, you don't want to touch on the main themes of the the film either because like people that's that's constant people brought that up so much though again at the same time too i do think it's it is important to talk about because even i think as the further and further we're going coming away from that time period it's getting lost it's not you know nearly as like part of the pop culture like oh like oh ghost faces and like sydney prescott and hello sydney but outside like the actual like i said like people mixing up nostalgia and what they think and what actually was, and its effect on pop culture. Yeah, I think Scream is sort of, you know, being um, overshadowed by some of the new meta now. Like, Tucker and Dale um, versus Evil, that's one of those films that's sort of a meta film that has kind of overshadowed now in the 2010s. And it's it makes sense, because at a certain point, you get to that level where you're like okay well now we're parodying films that came after scream cabin in the woods yeah cabin in the woods stuff like that and they sort of overshadow because it's what we're now used to well, as- like that i think i think it's outside like when you think of like 2000s horror outside of torture porn and saw not really that much to go off of mm, you yeah. know remakes you know, no one's gonna be like critiquing down the road the Texas Chainsaw remake right. outside of like, man, Jessica Biel was the thing. Paranormal activity, I guess, but Oh you know what? I almost forgot about that. Yeah. But uh other than that, yeah, you you were you're at a sort of creative standstill in that regard. So but but I think, you know, as we get further, Scream is sort of kind of I think people see it now less as meta than as another one another slasher film that sort of follows tropes because now we're kind of used to meta we're used to it being like ingrained in our film and this is where i think scream under the right guidance and thought provoking people like good like danny mcbride and how well him and the others down halloween Mm -hmm. could be with scream being like a decade like once a decade thing as like a commentary on horror films of that decade yeah because we get this. I think we get. You do see that in Scream One, Scream Two a little bit, Scream Three not at all really, and then Scream Four does have commentary. Right, it comes and, back. And, and I would say Scream Four out of all of them the most meta. But I think like that would be an interesting idea. Bring Scream back, whether it be like an anthology type thing, or because. Slasher films, for the most part, especially in like the early and mid two thousands, wasn't really a thing outside mm-hmm. of the remakes. So, like, if even if you did like Scream as like a, like a different anthology on like this commenting on like this is what was like a popular trope in horror film for the past ten years, and it's like something totally different, I'd be fine with that. Wes Craven's dead now, so he doesn't have to follow the you know same formula and tradition. Yeah. Or you can just have Jordan Peele do, you know, yeah. Twilight Zone style episodes. It, it definitely is hard to, you know, continue to do a scream like that where you're 
constantly well, circumventing like, things. Ten years is going to be like Nev Campbell is like almost six years old parading about. So yeah, do you it, is that what you know? Yeah, you like you start to get to a point where Scream Four actually did a really good job of circumventing certain tropes again, but you you can't keep doing that every installment. There's a certain point where you're like. We circumvented the circumvented trope that we had in the last one. And, and you know, that basically, what does that mean? That means that you went back to the regular trope. <laughs> so so you do sort of run out of that sort of ability to navigate around tropes. Well, I was going to say, at the same time, it's if, if, if you're right. Because if it's like, oh, we didn't do that. We subverted it. And if, like, if you have to be the one to be like, we subverted it. And it's not the audience going like, they subverted it. Then right. did you really, you know, yeah. do it? You know, you can't like do everything, and you can't have a very, very normal slasher ending, and then be like, "Yeah, you thought we were going to do something crazy, but we didn't." And then, but the audience is just thinking that was just a generic slasher film. It doesn't work like that. And so, yeah, you you have to have the audience's reaction being like, "Wow, that was something really different that I didn't expect from this," rather than the filmmaker saying, "Yeah, we did this because of." wanted to subvert your expectations so yeah it's it's a fine line and and we certainly have gotten a lot of films that try to do that some of them are successful some of them are not i think scream was at the time very successful in doing that i think now some people revisiting it may be like this doesn't really seem that groundbreaking um, well, at the same time, it's like, again, we talked about it when we did, like, Night of the Living Dead. It's kind of hard now, like, almost 60 years, you know, 55 years after yeah. the fact, being like, how is that, you know? Again, we both love it, and it's like, oh, it's such a great film, but at the same time, it's like, you show that to somebody now in this super hyper-violent, you know, media era, they're gonna be like, why were people fucking scared of this film? And, and we brought up a good point, too, of that, like, if you... Uh, inherently know what happens in scream before you watch it you're already looking for things and we may even at our age we may never have seen scream not exactly knowing what no. happened at the end of the film i can't say that i did so it really changes our perspective perspective of the film just like if you know we were to I say think- like somebody else go back and watch the sixth sense now and you know, not knowing. God, what. that's a that's a gr- that's a great one. Thinking back, because I was old enough at the time, like ten years old at the time, to be like, what? You know, exactly. Yeah, to, to be able to process that. No, you're right. I think I think though. Again, I think the fact though, but by the time we kind of came of age to know about it, it was still popular enough, and and you know, being parodied to death and part of popular culture. To where even though we knew the ending, we could process like the impact and all that it had. But no, you're right. We, we won't. Like I said, that's why I find it interesting because looking at people who probably saw that film in theaters for the first time, and when it comes to who's the killer, and it's like I, you know, again being too young to ha- be able to process it when I like the first couple of times I saw it, being kind of like, how do you not know it's this, you know, so and so? Yeah. You just, there's not really that, you can't relive it again. You can't go back and just, you know, forget everything that you knew about it. And, like, again, we weren't old enough to talk to people who, you know, like, yeah. I wasn't going to be asking my parents, a six-year-old, like, mom, 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 like, why'd you, you know, how'd you react when it was billions yeah. to, you know? It is interesting how those things change over time, and you really can't do relive those experiences. Yeah. They were, they happened at one specific time. And that's it. But again, like I said, we're old. We're old enough to know the importance it has on the you know pop culture zeitgeist and 
the influence it's had on slasher films and meta, and basically that and New Nightmare kind of creating a more meta sense. Even though, as we've talked about before, slasher films always have, especially when they get start running out of ideas and go from from being serious to more kind of funny, they always kind of have tongue-in-cheek. This one's not so much as tongue-in-cheek, it's more like, you know, oh, we're making references, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But. <clears throat> All right, so, um, out of ten, um, let's see, uh, out of ten CRT TVs, Oof. what would you... What up? Oh, you know what's... We we didn't really comment on all the kills. Yeah, we didn't, but uh, we did say that it's not gory. Yeah, they're not they're not you know particularly gory. I mean, you're right because while you're saying uh, ten CRT TVs, yeah, you're not bringing up the uh, how Stu dies with his head getting crushed by that fucking twenty four inch TV. That's true. That's true. If my, like, 50, 60 inch TV fell on me now, it would be no big deal. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Let me p- p- pick it back up. 10 pounds, yeah. You know, 24 inch TV back then, that'll kill you. Yeah. You know, it certainly if, will. <laughs> very back heavy, too. Yeah, I mean, front heavy. The glass, all that glass in the oh, front. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. You ever have to, like, lift up, like, a 38 inch yeah. sear? Yeah, those things are fucking heavy. Yeah. Not fun. So you're right. Out of 10, uh, out of 10 CRT TVs, I'll give Screaming 8.5. Uh, I still think it holds up very well to this day. Um, it's definitely the cream of the crop of 90s slasher films. Uh, Wes Craven is fantastic as a director. He knows what to get out of his actors. He knows where to guide stories. Um, I think everybody in this film it plays their parts very well. I think Nev Campbell's great. I I've always had a big crush on Nev Campbell. I always think everything she has. Jackson, too, is very... She always does a fantastic job. Um, Drew Barrymore in the opening, she does a great job as being like a believable lead, but at the same time, especially now that we know the twist that she's actually killed off, she does play like a good like intro girl to being killed. Um, David Arquette, I love. As he's always been somebody that I've always kind of like had a soft spot for as the goofy cornball that he is, but he's very he's pretty lovable in his goofiness in this as a total dweeb. Um, Courtney Cox, I've never been the biggest fan of, but I think she does a pretty good job as you know the stubborn journalist who's trying to find leads and make her you know find out the truth that would happen to Maureen Prescott and because we had that whole sub story with what happened to Maureen and Cotton. You know, which we find out later on is Cotton becomes a bigger part in Scream 2 and 3. Um, yeah, really interesting that they um, did a, a completely very small part for Cotton. Um, just that Sidney's the one that fingered him to kill and rape, you know. Yeah, it's such a small role that eventually blossoms into a big, yeah. a bigger part. Yeah. So, you know, all tying. And that's something I think Scream does as a very well as a trilogy as we talk about by the time scream three though the faults that we'll talk about and same thing as scream two the faults that they have as films they do at the end tie themselves all you know up in a nice little bow um that kind of go back to the whole theme of maureen prescott so that's something you know that's you know good continuity there but i think everybody everyone you know even henry winkler and his small little roles calling his students little shitheads you know so it's great um soundtrack I like the nice 
Enya ambiance music and the um, nice Halloween style music. I think it's a good plot. I think it's well placed. Paced. It definitely does not feel like it's an hour and fifty minutes long. Um, it's not gory, but at the same time, I think they do enough with uh, imagination with the kills to make them interesting. It's, I think it's the meta commentary too is very. It's not that in depth, but at the same time. It's uh, for the I can see how for the time period it'd be kind of like oh you know wow so cheeky they are, um, I think the biggest fault with the film is now especially twenty five years after the fact, um, the twist though I think it's a good twist that the fact that there's two killers, um, there's not enough red herrings within the plot to make you think that it's I either not Billy or Stu, mm. um, which I think they both do. Great job too, as Billy being the total sociopath and Stu being the fucking balls to the wall. Mid mid nineties, yeah, man, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, righteous man, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, but I, I I really like this. It's I think it holds up well, bordering on a nine, but I don't think I can quite give it that. But it's something that I watch almost every. I try to watch almost every year. Really enjoy. It's one of my favorite slasher films. It's right up there. With Halloween and my pantheon of slasher films that stick out the most to me of not just slasher films, but the horror film as a genre. I probably get, I think I would give this an eight and a half as well. I think that it's a a good film. Uh, Like I said, you really don't notice that it's an hour and 15 minutes long, which is really on the longer end of films and especially slasher films. Yeah, something that we bring up a lot of the time is films being too long. At an hour and 15 minutes, this film really doesn't feel too long. It doesn't seem like it's that long. And I think that that's really good from Wes Craven, who directs it with enough pacing that you really don't notice that uh, length to it. Um, with that said, I think that there are some issues with the, the film that crop up as you watch it now. Um, from a, a perspective of a person who knows about Scream and who has seen it before and, and perhaps you know you already know the ending to the film, you notice some things. Um, I think that's true of all movies that have twists at the end of them. But in Scream's case, I think there are some that really stand out that you may have noticed even watching the film for the first time. Um, Especially being that Billy and Stu really do stand out as the characters that make the most sense for being uh, either, you know, if you're not thinking there's two killers, you're at least thinking that they're one of the, one of them could be the killer. Um, They don't really do enough to, to draw attention away from that. And Billy is, if we think about it, Billy's constantly the suspect throughout the entire film. He's the main suspect, and he ends up being the main suspect. I think that's where that's what they're trying to be the red herring, though, because yeah, like because right. throughout slasher films, always like oh, the one that's the main suspect isn't you know yeah isn't I mean, the killer. But at the same time, the fact that they they have Jamie Kennedy being like, uh, why would I be the suspect? And they're like, oh, why wouldn't you be the suspect? And it's like. Why would he be the suspect? There's not. We just see him being the one explaining the rules to a horror movie. Yeah, you know, I know they're trying to play this, especially at the end. It's kind. Of, they don't really talk about that much, except until the end, and they kind of talk about more as the franchise goes on of it being like a movie. You know, just because he's explaining the rules to a horror movie, and at the end, they're like, oh, it's not my movie. This isn't gonna be like this. You know, it doesn't really make. Uh, yeah, I, make any I, sense. I just think that the this. The sole focus on Billy is, as a whole, is a little problematic because it really puts your entire attention on Billy as a as a character who could be, have committed these murders. And 
it's too much focus, I think. But other than that, I think they do a, a good job of that. I think the kills are um, they're good, they're creative, and they also factor in the um, that the killer himself is not that great at doing killing. He, he's still, you know, so, somewhat inexperienced. He's not a machine. He doesn't know how to do things, you know, in a way that Michael Myers would do them or Jason would do them. And sorry to interrupt again, but yeah. to to go off that because we didn't talk about it. the end when we find out it's Billy and Stu and then how they're like they're gonna make it try to look like that Cindy's dad and you got them stabbing each other at the end that's fucking great because they're so fucking psycho like come on man fucking stab me again stab me again yeah, you know yeah, it's, it's... and then they're stabbing like you know Billy stabs Stu then Stu stabs Billy and then Billy stabs Stu a couple of times like stop it man <laughs> I think I'm dying. I'm bleeding too much, you know. Yeah, it's, it's I feel woozy. That's pretty, you know. That's a morbid, like, like humor that I got from that. Like, that's for pretty fucking funny. Where it's just like, you know, right? Because both of them really can't control themselves in some ways, and they stab too deep, and you know that it was an idea that they both have that they couldn't really implement in a good way. And so, yeah, I think I think this film, you know, it, though it's not really gory it, in today's standards, it it's um. Visceral in different ways. It has suspense. I think the opening scene is very suspenseful. Even now, even though you know that Drew Barrymore is going to be killed off, it's a very suspenseful scene that lasts, you know, 15 minutes of the uh, initial part of the film and does its its own thing trying to imitate Psycho in some ways. And I, I think it does a good job of that. Um, Scream as a whole is an entertaining film. Um, I think watching it now, you get a little bit of a different vibe from it than you would have when you're watching it in 1996. But at the same time, um, it certainly does stand out as one of the, the better films of the slasher era in the 90s. It obviously helped usher those in, and I still think it holds up, unlike something like I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is sort of well-received as a 1990s slasher, and I don't think it really holds holds up as well as a lot of people remember it to. Um, I think it's a lot of that comes from nostalgia of thinking about Scream. And so when you're thinking about Scream and you're kind of saying, well, Kevin Williamson wrote Scream, he also wrote, I know what you did last summer. You're sort of think you're, you're kind of placing your own enthusiasm for Scream onto, I know what you did last summer. One of them is much, much, much better than the other. And what rewatching Scream now, we can certainly see that and why that is. And I think we help to document that, you know, in both episodes. Mm. Well, like I said too, like from, uh, just talking about this film too, I think a lot of people bleed in all the other films of Scream to, yeah. from Scream Two and Three into this film. Yes, you know, because I was asking you, because I totally forgot and spaced out on it. You know, throughout the franchise, you know, one of the big points is Sid and what becomes a big point is Sid and Dewey's relationship, like how they're got, have a very brotherly sister um, relationship. Which it is hinted on here how they interact, but at the same time, it's not very, it's not nearly as prominent as in two and three. Mm. And so, when we were watching this, I was like, when you get the first scene where you see Dewey, and he goes, and Sid's like, hey, hey, Dewey, and he's like, hey, Sid, it's, it's Officer Dewey, I'm on duty. I was like, how the fuck did this relate? Like, I go, they don't even really talk about this. Like, how the hell did the relationship, you know, what's the relationship? And if you don't pay attention for a split second, Oh, it's because uh, Tatum, you know, which is uh, Rachel... Rose McGowan. Yeah, Rose McGowan. Sorry, I was about to have a break. <laughs> Rose McGowan's um, character, Tatum, 